just past 7 o'clock, and here we go on yet another action-packed Monday night. It's time for Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira, throughout the years, we've had some close calls with this show. A couple of times, you know, flights got delayed, you got hung up at an event, we had to pre-tape or, you know, do something like that. We decided not to pre-tape today. We wanted to go live, but we knew that we were under the gun. And man, you this was a close one, Ira. Where have you been? And tell us about how you just got here. Well, I was in I was in the Ham I went to the draft on Thursday and then went to the Hamptons. And then coming back, I left today this afternoon at a three o'clock flight. And the traffic in front of LaGuardia, as anyone knows, it gives yourself It's terrible. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. And it was raining, and of course it rains, there's uh, people drive real slow, and then also there was the roads were construction, of course, always road construction. And uh, like there was a one lane, like into LaGuardia Airport is one lane. That was it. <laughs> and I got I, I was running through the airport because I had to make it like to one two forty five. I got there right when they and they gave it. They actually were delaying boarding, which is not a shock at LaGuardia, but you no. can't take that risk. And then we got on the plane, and then they sat. We sat for half an hour on the plane, so I came here, but PBI to here, so I made it with five minutes to spare. It, this was yeah our closest call yet, and I got to tell you, you've got some courage because they're canceling and moving you know a thousand flights a day right now. I was anticipating us taping this show because something was going to happen, especially out of LaGuardia. No, I want to do it live. We think breaking news. We want to we want to see what we can have. We have a great guest on tonight, Bobby Valentine. Uh, the former manager of the New York Mets, the Texas Rangers, even one year at the Boston Red Sox. Also won a title in in, uh, in uh, Japan, but he's most known for his net Mets when he, he took the Mets. I mean, for a period of like four or five years, they were the best teams in baseball. They went to the World Series. They played the Yankees, and he was colorful. And that's it's something back in the days when managers were managers. He was more he was as famous as Piazza on that team. No, Bobby Valentine is a character. Is a great word for it. And when you hear this interview coming up at 735 and you hear some of the stories, you're going to love it. Bobby Valentine is an extremely complex, interesting, and fun person, and you'll hear all about that more coming up on Ira on Sports. Ira, we talked about where you've been, and don't forget you can follow Ira across social media, see where he's been, and hang out with him at Ira on Sports. So, like you said, you, you were pretty busy this week. Let's start with the NHL because we do have new champions. It's not who I thought it was going to be. I was really thinking that the Tampa Bay Lightning were going to have what it takes, but congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, I mean, that was, so I went, that was the, I went Wednesday to the Avalanche game in Tampa, the Tampa-Colorado game, and then drove back to West Palm, and then on Thursday flew up to the draft on Thursday. So mm -hmm. I got to the NHL, NBA, back-to-back -back again like that, which is pretty tough after that game, but um but no, I mean, what an advertisement for the NHL. I mean, they really, we talked about this, I think, two months ago, how when we looked at the schedule, we're like, boy, the NHL is going to have, during the NBA Finals, when they play like every four days, they're going to be playing their conference <laughs> finals. And they got the Rangers in one of them. And, and they got, so they got, uh, that, they got to that. And then you get to the Stanley Cup Finals, and they're going to have it all to themselves. And it's been perfect. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know who are not hockey fans that are just watching it. Like, there's, they, it's rather than putting a baseball game on. And has this been compelling? Every game. Yes. I mean, there's been two games that were blowouts. Short of that is, like, the last three games have been just any shot. Anybody could win at any time. No, they ended up getting, and on top of that, they got the best two teams in the league. So it worked out perfectly that they had the best teams in the best time slots. NHL doesn't do that much right, Ira, but they, they did really well here. Like you said, though, this was a really good series. I'm glad you got to take some of it in. I was impressed a lot by Colorado. I thought that these – there were certain times where you, you were looking at these games and thinking, these two teams don't even belong on the ice together. 
just how good Tampa, uh, Colorado would look for a shift, for a period. Tampa Bay had some great moments too, but I feel like Colorado kind of uh, kept their foot on the throttle pretty much this entire series. In 2000, and you got to like how Colorado was built. I mean, it wasn't like the Kevin Durant, you know, but like we're seeing, we yeah. might be hearing rumors. Everybody's texting about Durant going to the Suns and Irving going to the Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> this team with this, this core group of players, McKinnon, Landestraw, Rantanen, Makar, they all came at 48 points in 2016 and 2017. Worst team in hockey. They stay together. It's almost like when those Braves built themselves up. But the mm-hmm. Warriors two years ago, as I was comparing them, was also bad. And then uh, Jared B- B- uh, Bednar, the coach, you know, this is his sixth season. And he came on. He actually had won, like, the Calder Cup trophy, the Kelly Cup, all these other types of, of, of things in lower levels of hockey. But they built them every year. And then they were knocked out of the second round, like, three years in a row. People were like, oh, you know, break up the team, fire the coach, all that. And it just came together this year where they had the great year. And then they were able to put it all together in the playoffs where they swept Nashville. They played St. Louis in six, which is really tough. Swept Edmonton, which and then have go against the two-time defending champion Timothy Lightning, who showed why they're two-time defending oh, yeah. champion as and, uh, and 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 produced this stellar Stanley Cup Finals. Excellent play from Andre Vasilevsky most of the time too. And I, you know, I had said this weeks ago on the show that this team's going to be tough to beat just because they have the best goalie in the league. And it doesn't matter if he doesn't win the Vezina Trophy like he didn't this year. When you can put a guy on the ice that you know is going to stop any easy shots, it gives you an advantage. And that's why I thought Tampa Bay was going to take this series. Kemper played pretty good for Colorado, too. I mean, I, I I don't consider him a top-flight goalie, but he looked pretty good through most of the series. He let a few easy ones in, but he still made this one tough on Tampa Bay. Um, let's start with Game 3 because everyone was looking at this like, man, Colorado's up 2 nothing. They just absolutely destroyed Tampa 7 nothing in the game before. A lot of people thought the series was over. Tampa Bay didn't agree. Right, and then we were... I'm driving back after we did our show live, and there was a Colorado scored. Mm-hmm. Tampa First challenged, minute, I think Tampa it challenged it for being offsides. And then it, I think the delay was forever, and but that worked. I mean, they were able mm-hmm. to stop, but they were able to, to reverse that, and then they scored again. You know, then they. But <laughs> but anyway, that sort of like you know set the tone a little bit for the game. And now Sorelli and Platt scored for Tampa, made up two one. And then in that second period, Paul scored, and then Stamkos, Maroon, Perry all scored, and they knocked Kemper out of the game. We we're waiting for Kemper to just fall apart. And in that game three, back in Tampa, he fell apart. And he had to be pulled. Now, remember, they were playing by uh, Francois. They were using both those goalies, too. He played a lot, so it wasn't like the second string is whatever. But the fact that Kemper was it was 5-2, totally slammed out of the game, and Vasilevsky played great, stopping 37 shots. You, like, you know, they lose game two. They're over. They're not going to come back from 3-0. But the fact that they blew Colorado out in that game, I think, gave Tampa a lot of hope that, wow, we're going to even the series. We know how to win these, and we'll be in it. And we saw the same thing with the Rangers. You know, the Rangers won the first two games, then it came back to Tampa, and the entire series changed, and that's what I thought was going to happen here. So you were at game four, and I'm looking at this like they got the momentum now. I think that Tampa Bay is going to do what they do and shut down Colorado. Wasn't the case, though, Ira. This ended up being a really good game that you were at. I I think the first period was the whole series. And the reason, first of all, getting there, I mean, when I I drove across the state, of course, went in, the atmosphere outside the game was tremendous. Everybody is dressed is in, in jerseys. Yes. The, 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 the party atmosphere, if the DJ outside, just all tens of thousands of people outside. People to say Tampa's not a sports set. Like baseball, no one shows up for games. For hockey, they show up. They show up inside, outside. They're passionate about their team. They love their team. 
I was just great to see everything. I thought, luckily, I've gone to the Ranger game, so I sort of knew where to park. You know, you knew where I had to go. I was like, park further away. That was great. I mean, you go there. First of all, it was like $20 to park when you knew where to park. So you're not paying a fortune for parking. And also, I heard the tickets were like $1,500 to get in for Colorado for game six, uh, at game six when they were in Colorado, or, or game five in Colorado, mm-hmm. when they thought they were going to clinch. And uh, this game was, you know, much fraction of that you know so it's not like the tickets are super priced but but i love the arena i'm sorry i'm not i'm starting to love the arena a lot i i sat almost exactly where i sat behind the tampa bay bench and uh you know i, I got there and it was just i nothing is better than the warm-ups in hockey because they're actually going out there and they're trying and then they shut the lights out and the teams come on and the introductions are better than the nba introductions and that national anthem and the Things that everything that woman from Tampa is great. Oh, she was <laughs> tremendous. And they and they put the American flag on the ice mm. and how they have it all set up. And everyone, I just it, it was just amazing. And then the only thing I don't like about it is they do all this stuff and the game starts like in a second. Like yeah. you're not ready for this stuff. Like usually in basketball, they everybody gets around, they do the jump ball. There's some anticipation. It's like suddenly they get done with everything and then it starts puck drop. too fast. The puck drop, <laughs> like give me give me some build up, give me some motivation. But this is what I thought this was a game. Tampa scored. Luckily, I was in my seat. I I saw the shot. Tampa scored 30 seconds by Sorelli into the game. 36 seconds into the game. So now Kemper, who had just had a horrendous. I was shocked they even started him. I thought they were going to bench him. No one knew what was going to happen. Yeah. No one knew. Game three, he horrendous. Pulled. 36 seconds, he gives him another goal. You're like, oh, my gosh. The floodgates are about to open. And then what does Tampa do in that first first, uh, period? They outshot Colorado 17-4. to That was probably their best period, but they couldn't get any. That's Kemper out of nowhere yeah. stopped goals, and and it was just un- the fact that t- that Colorado was able to weather that storm. That just otherwise this could have been four nothing, five nothing. Suddenly the series is two two, and then you're all thinking, okay, it's whatever. The fact that they were able to weather that, and it was only one nothing after after the end end of one. That was the only goal they gave up, and then the second period, McKinnon, who is. <laughs> The fastest skater I've ever seen. The, the ever. one the fastest that's not McDavid. He really is McDavid one B. He's unbelievable. Flying around. Finally, he scores a goal because they hit off a skate. And uh, and then I got a great picture of Hedman for Tampa right in front of me. I have on my camera. Oh, I love this picture. And he went and he goes down and scores to make it two one at the end of the period too. So it's almost like Tampa then was you know, dominant. But again, I go back to that first period. Can I just say I thought that that was where this whole series could have changed. They go up three nothing, four nothing in that first period. It's over. Yeah. It's oh, it's oh, it's not over. It's two two. But I think it gives them more motivation because you can't when you're down two one, you cannot drop that game because it's so hard to come back from three one. And then in period three, Colorado scored very quick to tie two two. And then after they scored, it was like from the third period to overtime, just total domination by Colorado. Even in overtime, they they outshot Tampa eleven to three, and it was twelve minutes of action. But you're like. As sitting there as you know, rooting for Tampa Bay, I'm like, if they win, it's not really fair. Colorado was just pounding Vasilevsky left and right. I'm I'm on the side where the Tampa was shooting, and I didn't see any action at all because Colorado <laughs> had it all. It was yeah. just constant, constant, constant. And finally, the Cadre scored. The person the player was injured and first came back for the game. But you just had a feeling like it, it, they they t- the third period in overtime was totally Colorado. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Bobby Valentine joins us in about uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, don't forget, you can see the picture of Victor Hedman. He's a big guy, right? <laughs> you can yeah. see the picture of Victor Hedman at Ira on Sports across social media. I don't want to detract from this, but I got to ask you really quick because you brought up the Rays. Doesn't it seem to me this city supports their teams? 
Don't you think if the Rays got a new stadium, people would show up? The team's good, but the Trump is the worst sports venue in the country. And they were playing the Yankees the same time. And it was weird. One of my friends went to the game and said, where are you tonight? And I said, are you at the game? And he goes, no, I'm at the Yankee game. And he showed me like sitting there with like just very no, the atmosphere was yeah, terrible. 4, and I'm like, here, this is my fixture. Like I'm, if you were going crazy. And I, yeah, I think they have to move the stadium. Being in Clearwater is a problem. It's like in this, it's so hard to get to it. If it should actually be in Tampa and figure out a way around it. But I agree. I think that they would support it with a, with a great stadium. So let's move on here. So we're, we're heading back to Colorado. I mean, so we're heading back to Colorado and you have to be a little worried now as a Tampa Bay fan that you kind of lost a game that you could have won. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about this one. Well, you know something's great when they say the Stanley Cup is in the building. They love they that it. term. This I love when they, <laughs> they put the cup and it's like the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's in the case and it's on another case and it's all protected and everyone's wearing white gloves yeah. around and holding it around. <laughs> like it's so great. It's, the Stanley Cup is here. Like that's so cool. Like I like that. They don't ever say like the Super Bowl trophy is yeah, the in Lombardi's the building. The Lombardi's outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not happening. And Tampa scored again. It's like down for how many games in a row now? They keep scoring first. So they score one nothing. And then discussion for uh, Colorado answered. And then Kucherov, now this was the, the problem the, the you know people for Colorado were mad about, is they got a, a four-on-three power play, were able to score and go up 2-1. At that point, I was in the Hamptons. It was so funny. I went down to uh, this restaurant called La Villa K, which is a very fancy you know restaurant, all celebrities, everything. So I have my phone out there watching the third period. And I'm with people, and they're like, you know, you're not being friendly, whatever, but... I have celebrities where I'm like, I'll just drop one. Jordan Belfort was standing like really? sitting right behind me, and that table's all watching. Another table of people were all watching, like looking over my phone. They were, they were talking like, oh, we have friends that were supposed to join us, but they're not here. And everyone was talking about hockey. So that's how that's what hockey has done. So even when you're at something like that, people were talking, oh, my God, Tampa is so great, all that type of thing. So it was just fun to watch that. And then third period, uh, Cole Mocker, who became the Conn Smythe winner, scored to make it 2-2. But then six minutes left in the game, uh, Andre Pallott, uh, he is like he's third, had some big goals. He is third period. Just he's like captain clutch. I mean, yeah. how many is seven third period goals in this playoffs? And he scored a goal, his sixteenth career go ahead playoff goal. And uh, and then at the end of the game it was sort of um, you know the drama ended and because they gave it was a weird they called a penalty on Colorado so Tampa was on a power play so Colorado couldn't even make that rush to tie it but a big win and go up three two in Colorado at when they thought they were going to clinch and that's. Again, that's you know you're up three one. You think about again about the Cavs series against Golden State when they're the three one. Sometimes when they win that game, when they went to Golden State and won that game, then came back and won, and then won in Game Seven when when Cleveland was able to. So you know, nobody comes back from three zero, but one team has come back from three one, and this could have been the second. And the fact that you just won a road game too, and you're coming back home, you win this one, and it's an even slate. Granted, granted, you have to play on the road for the for the Game Seven, but I really thought that. Tampa Bay was going to have what it takes in game six. It didn't, and we have a new Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, I mean, in the first period, uh, again, um, they, uh, McKinnon was trying to sell like a high stick, uh, trying to sell a penalty. And it seemed like, you know, you never see it hockey people like try to say, oh, I was, I commit. It, it seemed like, you know, they, they, they play very, not NBA style, mm -hmm. but because he, then they gave the puck up. And then Kucherov was able to score. Kucherov passes the Stamkos, scores one nothing. Tampa's Tampa, and Stamkos is so popular in Tampa. Like when he scored, I was watching this on TV. But you get to see how the fans. Everyone's wearing ninety one. They all love him. This and that. And 
and Luke Kennan for Colorado just hit right off the goalpost. So it's one nothing after one, and you're like, wow, I mean, Tampa can really do this. Now they have another lead, and they're whatever. And then McKinnon finally, you know, McKinnon shot like, what, 30 shots? Besides the one off a of stake, hadn't scored, so he finally mm-hmm. scored the second period. And there was a question where they were calling a penalty right when he shot the ball, shot the puck, but they didn't. They didn't raise the hand for the penalty if they, there would have been a stoppage of action. So people, the Colorado fans, were upset about that, saying it should have been a stoppage. I don't know what you would have thought about that. It's it's one of those things that can go either way. If it's not whistled before you know the, the play takes place and the puck leaves his stick, there's not really much you can do about it. There was a lot of little weird, fluky calls in this series. I'd say that's the only detraction from the action that we saw. But continue here because it this was – Colorado, to me, they did what they had to do to win this series. They – smothered Tampa Bay from here on out. Yeah, seven minutes to go. Luke scored to make it 2-1. And it's shocking that that was it. I mean, you still had, they played another 27 minutes of action and nobody scored. And they scored to go up to a 2-1. And then uh, Tampa got a penalty. Uh, Colorado, uh, Colorado was, uh, saved a penalty. Um, but then from that moment on, totally dominated. Even in the third period, Tampa, they're down 2-1. They, they have to score. This the Stanley Cup, and they got two shots on goal until yeah. they pulled the goaltending. That's how much I, – I, I love this game because I love the fact that Colorado is like they were the better team. They showed they're a better team. They're on their away, and they actually in the third period when this team – they they held them to two shots. I mean, it was just unbelievable play by a, by a Colorado. They a great team did what they had to do to win, and I I, I think it's right. I mean, I think it was perfect to see that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I thought it was going to be near impossible to keep Tampa Bay out of the goal in the third period. I just it, it was unfathomable to me how well they played and how they made Tampa Bay look uncomfortable in their house when they need to score to even play another game. Kudos to them. They're the, they're the new champions, and it's well-deserved. And so, remember, a them. week ago, I'm in Boston, and Golden State did the same thing yeah. in the third and fourth quarter. They took O control. I mean, it's, I'm watching these games. I'm like, this is totally similar. Team won a title. They're away when they win the title. They 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 did beat. I mean, Boston wasn't a two-time defending champion, but still, to go and win like that and, and, and just dominate that fourth quarter and just sort of say the other team put the reserves in. But, you know, Tampa didn't put the reserves in. But the fact is, just the total domination at the end, I, I, very similar. I, the only other thing similar is that uh, uh, Gary Bettman could not give. They had to, Bill Daly had to give the trophy away because he got COVID as Adam Silver in the NBA mm-hmm. had COVID and couldn't give the trophy and Mark Tatum <laughs> had to. So the similarities between the two were the fact that the teams won on the road. It was 3-2, that type of thing. But uh, no, truly a great win for Colorado. And I think it makes, I mean, just hope that next year in the regular season, they can build off these great playoffs. Because you never thought, you thought, oh, the Raiders aren't in the finals. It's Colorado, Tampa. They're not sexy teams. But people got into this series because they're good teams. It just shows, I'm so sick of this. Oh, it has to be, the teams have to be from a certain market. I hate that. that. It's just be a good team, be a great team. Put if Oklahoma City or any other, I don't care where it's from. If they're a great team, people will follow them. No, and it's you know it's interesting you brought up guys like McKinnon and McCarr because this is something. If you lived in Virginia, didn't watch any Western Conference hockey at all, after watching the Stanley Cup, you'd say, "Wow, that guy McKinnon is special. Wow, that guy McCarr is special." That's because they, they they were the best team. They had the best players, and they're able to put them on display where you now know who these guys are. And if you watched any of that hockey, these guys are becoming household names to you because they are among the best players in the league. They got a great matchup here. I was really happy about that. And one other thing, ABC 
have all the games on ESPN, TNT. It's not on an NBC Sports Network. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I have it at my house, NBC Sports Network. I'm at a bar. Not many bars had NBC Sports Network. Not many people have all these other networks. The NHL, the, the playoffs, some games were on the NHL Network. Very few people have NHL Network. So the fact that this was now put on, just like the basketball, and also they started the games at 8 o'clock rather than 9 o'clock for the NBA, I thought was great too. I think everything they did with this, with this production, and you have... Messier and Chelios and Steve Levy. They were, they were tremendous. And, and, and Grass, it's a, you know, you saw Barkley even came in on the, when the TNT was doing the show. <laughs> I just thought, I'm like, wow, hockey is finally like, it's like, welcome to the party, NHL. Like, you're finally like, great. Congratulations. I think maybe the shift back to ESPN, they were off ESPN for a long time. Definitely, they were on. OLN, like 15 years ago, the Outdoor <laughs> Living Network. Nobody, you couldn't watch hockey if you wanted to. So I'm very glad for them. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, 722. I'm Mike Balsamo. 13 minutes or so, Bobby Valentine joins us. Great interview. So stick around. So, Ira, you've over the past month or, you know, six weeks, you've had a lot of experiences where you say, I'm probably the only person in the world who's done this. There's nobody else. And I don't know who, how many people went to a Stanley Cup final game and the NBA draft in one week. You pulled it off. In one day, in less than 24 yeah. hours, really. <laughs> you know, I went up there and I, I've gone to been, I just been like 15, 16 drafts I've been to. But I, I call, like I look online and there were a million tickets a week ago. And it's one of those things where I was just focused. Like sometimes I don't look so forward ahead. I look at like, so I was really focused on Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup. And then I'm like, okay, I'll turn and see what tickets are available. I'm like, there's no tickets. Like how, what happened? Like a week ago, there was a million tickets. For, it was going, there's none of these names. That probably, you know, no one knows the, the draft names. No Zion Williamson. It's not like the NBA or NFL draft. I like wow, and I call my brokers. They don't have tickets. I go to all the sites. Nothing. Like, I don't know what happened with the tickets. Like I have no idea why. And then the people just said, "Well, just go down there and find it." So I go to the box office. They didn't have any tickets. I'm walking around. Of course, they put on paper tickets. And finally, I'm like, "I'm going to miss this. Like I'm going to get shut out of this." So some person had a ticket, um, and they sold it to me like at face value. And I'm like, "I think there's like a 20% chance it's like a hundred dollars." But I, it was a 20% chance that it was going to be real. But I thought maybe there's a good chance because it was a good ticket. I'm like, ah, you know, they probably they, they were sitting where the players came off. Someone brought it was they gave me the whole story that a player had an extra. They handed them all out to people. So I said, okay, I go in and it gets it's rejected. It was totally wrong. They even laughed. They're like, the barcode's the wrong way. It's like, whatever. <laughs> Back in the old days, so I get a fake ticket and then. I go to the box office, interior box office, and I say that, and they, of course, they confiscate the ticket, and they're like, I go, can you help me? Can you do anything? They're like, yeah, we have a bunch of tickets. I'm like, and they go in line, they go, oh, we don't see them. I go, what does it matter with your system? And I'm telling you, I think it's their computer system, because it went in, there was empty seats everywhere. I think there was a mistake, there's something wrong with that. And then they were nice enough to give me, well, give me, I paid for a ticket. So, uh, <laughs> so I got a ticket, went in, and rushed in to watch the draft. And it's not the, I mean, when you're at the draft, I mean, it's like, the, you hear, I go on NBA radio and listening to that, but you hear like Dennis Scott is doing the commentary. It's not, the excitement in the arena isn't as great as they have at the NFL. It's just just not there. They There were so many, there are 23 draft choices available were, were in the arena. And so in the middle, the hole where the court area was, was all tables for their families, which this is the most I've had, they've had in, in years. And then they used like almost, I guess, three quarters of the basketball court and then the seats on both sides even go at the high level. Um, so it was a good, it, it, the, and they actually, the stage with the lighting was really good. So when someone was drafted, it says Houston Rockets and they have all the lights. And then when they have the board up, when a player was traded, they actually 
listed where they were traded to because you hate having someone listed as a player whenever they announce a trade mm-hmm. and like the Knicks, you didn't, you know, had the trade. So I thought that aspect was good. Um, and then it's so funny after the first round's over, everybody leaves. Like there's whole second round for an hour from 11 to 12. And then by the end of the draft, one of the guy, one of the players is drafted and like two little kids ran over. There might have been 50 people left in the entire building. And the, the security is like, keep this guy, keep them away. I'm like, <laughs> let the guy sign two autographs. They're just 12, 10 year old kids. Like, it's like, the, you know, I was like, couldn't believe they were pushing these 10 year old kids away. And, uh, but it was, it's, it, it was great to be there. And, and, uh, and just what we'll talk a little about, about what, who was selected. You ever get a fake ticket at another major event? Yes, before? I have. I have. Yeah, a, it my, happens. My, Michael it Jordan's happened in first. Years. The Michael Jordan's first. I, I can. Uh, I went to the NCAA, the Big East tournament. I bought two fake tickets twice outside the garden. Everything. All my fake tickets have been in New York. <laughs> <Shocker>. <laughs> totally. It's always in New York. I mean, the guy was like legitimate. Like, you know, I'm trying to like. It, it was a serious time on episode. I'm like, how'd you get the ticket? Who do you work for? He gave me his number. He's this and that. You know, I chatted him up for 10 minutes and then I thought I read, you know, the fact that I tried to go lower on the price that he wouldn't go lower. Now it was completely fake. So if it was really fake, why is he wearing about what the price is? Yeah. It, it cost him zero dollars. So it doesn't <laughs> matter what I offer him. And uh, so I, but I, I just, I didn't, I, I didn't. That's why you can't buy paper tickets outside. So let's talk about the draft itself, Ira. If you looked before the draft, every article you saw anywhere on the internet said Jabari Smith going to Orlando. It's a foregone conclusion. If you looked in Vegas, it was minus five hundred to take Jabari Smith first. It was about plus three fifty to see Paolo Banchero go first, and plus twenty three hundred for Chet Holmgren. People were wrong on this one. I don't know how many national writers could have been wrong thinking Jabari Smith was going to go number one. Orlando had different plans. They took Balo Bonchero, and you don't really think that they're going to get their value out of this guy. You're a big dookie, and you're not so high on Balo. No, I am. I thought you said that you didn't think he was going to be a, a, a stud. I didn't think he was going to be a stud, but in this draft, I think he's the best guy. Okay. So I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this. I, I think he is of this group. I was not high on Jabari Smith at all. So I think, remember, they waited till 30 seconds before the draft. Before they drafted him, Bonchero didn't know who he was going. I think at the end, I saw all three. I saw Holmgren play when Gonzaga played uh, Loyola Marymount at Pepperdine. And then I saw Paulo Bonchero play. Of course, Duke, I saw a number of their games. And Jabari Smith um, in the tournament. And I saw Jabari Smith of Miami played Auburn. I just thought Javari Smith, I thought Paulo Bonchero played harder. And I, I don't think he's going to be this, he's not Kevin Durant. But I do think he could be maybe a, a, a third best player on the team. So I do, I think it was a smart pick from Orlando, even though to work in, but I did like that pick. So I did, Holmgren was always going to go to Oklahoma City. I just think, I think it was shocking that Javari Smith. Now, Houston's happy. They like the fact that he dropped out of Jalen Green. I mean, they're terrible. They have all these young players they have to develop. But I think they were happy with it. But I do like, I thought, I thought Bunchero was the better of the players. Um, do I think any of, you know, I, no, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. Anything else from this draft stand out to you? You were there. Social media blew up on the Knicks. A lot of people weren't happy about it. You were in New York. What was people's response in the stadium, outside the well, stadium? Well, Stephen, and, and, and Stephen A. and Spike Lee were in front of me when I saw that. They were all upset. It was First of all, it was hard to understand what happened. The Knicks were trading, and when they made the first announcement, it looks like the Knicks traded for um, Jalen Duran from Memphis, 
and they didn't. They traded for him, but then moved him. So it was weird. I, I don't think people understood what was going on. Like, did I, until I like sort of left the draft, I had to. Did they actually get a pick? I didn't know. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. I was listening on the radio. It was hard. It, it just seemed confusing because they made some trades. So I don't think people were so. They're like Knicks traded out of the draft. Like you thought they were trading for another pick when they when they you wake up the next day that Trevor Keels is the only one they were able to draft <laughs> for. But the other picks I like a lot. It, people were happy with Jaden Ivy for Purdue. He fell to Detroit. Now you can put him with uh, Cade Cunningham and Jalen Duran. It's like people are happy with what to, what the direction Detroit's going. They they played hard last year. I saw them against the Heat game and. And people seem to really like Ivy there. Another pick that people like, Dyson Daniels. I'm saying, what player did we see in the draft that next year in the NBA finals? NBA players we're going to see. Dyson Daniels is from Australia. Young, but full of energy, enthusiastic guard. If Zion comes back for New Orleans, I love New Orleans. He could be a key component on that team. So that was another key. Oklahoma City has had drafted Jalen Williams. Uh, they drafted Chet Holmgren. Um, they had an another pick. Uh, and then Azami Diong. Uh, from the Knicks, the Knicks pick. So they, the Oklahoma City just keeps drafting young players. Look, they had three of the top 11 players. One of them could be a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> like, they just keep drafting enough of them. They're going to happen. I like the Cavs pick of, uh, of a, a Boggy. He was the star for Kansas who won the uh, championship trope for Kansas, the most va uh, valuable player in the NCAA tournament. And the Cavs are better than people think they are. Like, they did well in the playoffs. I think they're on the uh, come up. He's someone who I think can make a big difference on this team. So I like a Boggy, considering his experience and everything coming in. I think that I like that pick for the Cavs. Denver picked Christian Braun from Kansas. People talked about her, his mother being because she was uh, looked like a model out there in terms of whatever. <laughs> but the fact that Braun is a lights-out shooter, Joker comes back, plays. I think that was a good pick. I think he's a great shooter from Kansas. He won the national championship for them, hit some big shots. So I think that was a good pick. But I have to say that Miami, I love this pick. Nikolai, Very Pat Riley pick. It's a Nikolai Djokovic who I saw going. He they drafted at twenty seven. I saw him all the way at sixteen and seventeen. He is a great shooter. He's tall. He is. I would call him Persingas like, but he please seems, don't. No, I'm not. <laughs> but he seemed to. I, I think it was a great, great pick. He's someone like a, a Duncan Robinson who's faster, more athletic. I think would just fit in perfectly. Wait, I think that was just a great pick. And then the Warriors right after Miami drafted Patrick Baldwin. Patrick Baldwin was one of the third, fourth best high school players last year. He went to Miss Wisconsin, Milwaukee because his dad coached there and then got hurt in like two games. And But people thought he was going to be, I saw top five in the draft this year. He falls to the Warriors at 28. Are the Warriors going to get another top pick like this? And they don't need him. You know, they have a million players, but he's <laughs> someone who like two years from now, Patrick Baldwin's going to score 25 points in the NBA Finals. And that's so that was, I think, a big pick. Um, I, I, the Cavs drafted Isaiah Mobley in the second round, who, uh, uh the Mobley's brother. So they had his, they can both play uh, like they did at USC. And then Memphis picked Kennedy Chandler uh, from Tennessee with a uh, 38th pick. And he's dropped. There were a couple of players that really dropped. He was someone who was in the green room, thought it could be a top 20 pick and dropped to 38. And Jaden Harvey went to Dallas at 37. But uh, in general, it's hard to see. You know, a lot of these players you don't see so much. Oh, one other pick I really, really like. Johnny Davis went 10 to the Wizards uh, from Wisconsin as point guard. The Wizards desperately needed a point guard. I think that really helps them. I think I like that pick. I thought that was a good I think he could be the. I think he could be rookie of the year next year because where he plays, the team he plays, being a point guard on that team. So we only have a, a few minutes here, so we have to get to Bobby Valentine. I want to talk about what's going on around the league because in the last forty-eight hours, 
things have kind of blown up. Kyrie Irving's getting moved. Kevin Durant's getting moved. Nobody knows what's going on. Well, I think it's it wasn't supposed to be very – a lot of these free agents had signed with teams. The only true free agent that people thought was going to be out there was like Zach Levine from Chicago, who people think is going to go back to Chicago. Jalen Brunson of the Mavericks, people still think – still might you know, either go to the Knicks because his dad's now a coach at the Knicks and the uh, GM of the Knicks used to be his agent. And then Bradley Beal of Washington. Does Bradley Beal want out of Washington? Where is he linked to? He seems to say, I want to stay in Washington. He's just going to re-sign for a five-year, $250 million contract. Again, if they sign the, go another team, it's like four years, 170. So they're, they're leaving like 80 million. These players that leave are leaving money on the table. The restricted free agents are DeAndre Ayton for Phoenix, meaning they could match any offer. Miles Bridges for Charlotte and Colin Sexton of the Cavs. But everyone is talking about the June 28th, 29th, which will be on Wednesday, decisions where Harden can opt out of his contract. They think he's going to opt in and then re-sign for Philadelphia. But the big one is Kyrie. You know, are you going to commit five years and 250 to Kyrie Irving um, who plays, he's played about 100 out of, he's played 113 games and missed 130. And if he leaves, and now they're saying he's going to go to the Lakers if they'll and sign for the, opt out and sign, play for $6 million. Now he gave up $17 million this year. I mean, who knows? And he also, he hated LeBron. He left the Cavaliers because he didn't like LeBron. So it'd be so ironic for him to go back to play with LeBron, play with the Lakers. I, I just still think they're going to sign. But if he leaves, then Durant, who's all signed, now you hear the rumors of him going to Phoenix or somewhere else. So this is uh, this is going to be interesting. Brooklyn made this deal with the devil with bringing all these superstars in, and that it hasn't worked. But I, you would think that they would keep just doing it because they're not going to be better without Durant. I mean, no team could lose Kevin Durant and be any better off. But I think they're, they were disappointed with this past year with Kyrie with the vaccine mandate, and then they traded for Harden. But they have no draft picks. The other thing is they've given up their entire team to trade for Harden, and they'd be left with Ben Simmons. So <laughs> this It's a mess. It's, it's a total mess. And I think, you, I think they have such a mess with Simmons, Kyrie, and Durant. They should just run it back and go with that. But they're nervous to give Kyrie the long-term money that he wants. Kyrie controls it. Kyrie can actually opt out and sign with another team. But the most he could sign with was for like – most teams are capped out, so it's just the mid-level. He'd be giving up uh, $25, $26 million. But he does what he wants. Does so what he you, wants. You really don't know. So that's what – it was supposed to be a very boring week. This could be starting Wednesday with the opt-outs and Thursday with the free agency. But watch with Miami. You know, Miami, when Jimmy Butler came, is like, where did that come from? What if Bradley Beal shows up in Miami? That would be amazing. Like, I mean, there is some things. And what if Kevin Durant? You, know, you don't know, but you know Pat Riley – He's always pulls these rabbits out of a hat. And I, I, whatever, whatever there's, uh, I think he's like a shark circling. And I think he might be able to get one of these plays. Potentially, if they're going to move somewhere, uh, why not Miami? ESPN.com is reporting breaking news. Kyrie Irving staying with the Nets next season. But I'll believe it when I see it. That's what I, and I'm not surprised. I really am not because it, he makes more money with that. And the Nets have invested so much. They have no draft picks. Why would they not? They just, it's like, you, you have to keep, it's like playing cards and you have this and you're like going in a pot. And at some point you just say, I have all this hand. I just got to keep playing the hand mm -hmm. out because it's, if I just fold now, I've lost so much money <laughs> at this point, I'm already d deep into this. So, so, um, Live Golf picked up another big-name golfer. He hasn't been great lately, but Matthew Wolf is definitely an, a young up-and-comer, and he's set to leave the PGA Tour. Well, the criticism of Live Golf has been, oh, well, they have all these old-timers. Where's the young golfers? Now they've been signing young golfers, and now what? So Matthew Wolf is 23 years old. He's from Jupiter, Florida. Around In 2019, he won the NCAA tournament at Oklahoma State. Then he won a tournament that year. Well, like Tiger and Jack are you know, the only people that like win you know, one of these things that's so young. And then he was 2020, he was fourth in the PGA, second in the U.S. Open. 
Now, since then, he's been horrendous. I mean, this year he's been, you know, he can't make cuts and do everything. But he did finish the Travelers 466. But uh, that was a big pickup. And, and Carlos Ortiz from Mexico, another uh, with Abraham and Answer going there. And then they got the second-ranked amateur in the world, Eugenia Chikara. So they've been getting some great young amateurs. We talked about So it's not just Ian Poltner, Lee Westwood, yeah. and the old-timers. They're getting ones. And this is what – so. The Travelers was this week, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. But I did want to say that this week, the John Deere tournament, and I went to look at the odds of the John Deere tournament, and you have uh, Webb Simpson, Adam Hadwin, uh, 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 Denny McCarty, Maverick McNeely, and Jason Day. I mean, that's who, that's his, you know, whereas the the Portland Live Tour has Dustin Johnson, Louis Oseisen, Kepka, Answer, Gooch, Bryson, Sergio Reed. I mean, the names... Again, Webb Simpson, Adam Had. I mean, these are not, again, people say, oh, you should play on the tour. This is a tour event. John Deere, it's the only tour event. And their best player is Webb Simpson, whereas yeah. the other live tour will have many players more famous than Webb Simpson. Daniel Berger had to pull out. Uh, he would have been the, the draw of, of the John Deere here. But yeah, congratulations to Xander Shoffley. Took down a win, uh, epic collapse on a Sunday from Patrick Cantlay, and then a really weird 18th hole from Thigala, who couldn't get out of the bunker. Shoffley deserved it, though. Congrats to him. I don't. Uh, congratulations for Shoffley for winning it. Um, he seems to be someone who's not going to leave to go to the Live Tour. Um, Jason Koprak, though, did you see he had on one of the holes on 18, he hit the ball like out of the, the golf course and just walk, <laughs> walked off the course, even though he was, you know, in it. Um, but uh, some players like Neiman, Rocky Neiman missed the cut, Sepp Chaka missed the cut, Ricky Fowler missed the cut, Jim Herman missed the cut, and Sam Burns. I mean, everyone keeps talking about Sam Burns being so great, and then he misses cuts like this. I mean, that's when you follow golf like we do and watch it every week and see what happens. I, I, that's why I wasn't so convinced that Sam Burns was going to win the U.S. Open. But but it comes down to the fact is that it, the live golf seems to just be taking every week another player, and it's going to be in Portland. And unfortunately, we're not going to watch it on TV. But someday, the announcers, the the advertise, the TV pronouncers is like, wait, we would rather show DJ Kepka, you know, Bryson, Sergio. We want to see those guys. We don't want to see Webb Simpson, Adam Hadwin, Denny McCartney, Maverick McNeely, Jason Day. Like, I think that's going to be a push for that. Now the the. Uh, the DP World Tour has banned the, the golfers, too, so they're not going to be able to play in the European Tour, as we talked about before. But it's still, I think, the momentum. And now that you have the uh, um, British Open is in two weeks, and then you're going to have a couple of tours like 3M, Rocket Mortgage, and Wyndham, and then just like the Tour Championships, and then the season's over. But then Live, then, in the fall, has all these big events, too. Let's go to Bobby Valentine. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We're uh, pleased to have famed baseball manager Bobby Valentine on the show. Bobby, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports here in West Palm Beach. Ira, good, good to be with you and uh, hope your uh, life is going well. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, Bobby, about late 90s, I'm at a wedding in Stamford, Connecticut. I come down with a couple of my buddies and on a Saturday in between the wedding time, go to the bar and Bobby V's bar, and one of my friends says to me, boy, we'll probably never see him here. Like, why would we ever come here? And you were standing right there. You turned right around and said, not only are you going to see me, I'm going to serve you your beer. So, I mean, I'm used to going to, like, Tiger Woods' place, never seen I've been Tiger Woods 100 times, never saw him. But you work your bars. You have these famous bars all around the country, and it's amazing how you got into the sports uh, bar business. It's tremendous. Iron, uh, those are fun days. Uh, you know, I... Did the uh, restaurant business for 38 years of my life. I had seven different locations at one time, and I enjoyed serving a beer, cleaning a table, everything but cleaning the bathrooms. But I did that, too, at times uh, during the early days. 
So one of the things I learned from the book is not only were you uh, a great baseball player, one of the best in the country, drafted fourth in the draft, but you were the star football player being recruited by Alabama. You met with Bear Bryant, Notre Dame, Eric Parsegan. You were in USC. O.J. Simpson gave you a tour. So you were this two-sport athlete, and you were the best ballroom dancer in the country at the same time in high school. So pretty amazing uh, high school years. Well, it sounds like you did read the book, Ira, and I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it was fun. You know, the 60s and 70s, uh, when I was a teenager and then into my 20s, uh, turned out to be uh, really fun times. And when I look back and think that I I did have the opportunity to play football and baseball at the, a very high level at University of Southern California and I was a number one draft choice of the Dodgers, and I got to the major leagues when I was 21. Oh, yeah, all that stuff is is great to look back at, and um, I'm glad that uh, the book is is there to tell the story. It's called Valentine's Way by Bobby Valentine. Encourage anybody who is a fan of baseball, a fan of sports, a fan of just reading good stories because your whole life is full of good stories, meeting so many people. And one of them is you just, you, like a name dropper all over. You drop, you say, well, I was happened to be coached by Lou Lamarillo, who I'm like, hey, did you play hockey? No, in baseball. So Lou Lamarillo was your baseball coach. <laughs> Imagine a uh, hockey Hall of Famer in 1967 coming to a high school baseball game and seeing a kid from Stanford, Connecticut, run around the bases and hit the ball and meet his mom and dad after the game and say, hey, I'm 24 years old. I'm going to be coaching in the Cape Cod Baseball Summer League, and i like to have your high school junior come up and play for me. And, uh, yeah, you know, 60 years later, Lou uh, is still going strong, and he's still a friend, and uh, I still remember a great summer spent in, in Yarmouth, Cape Cod, playing against the likes of Thurman Munson and others. So you were discovered, well, how was it discovered by Tommy Lasorda? You have a long long life friendship with Tommy. And the, the story I love is when you were in AAA, if you could tell this story about, and there was a mutiny on the team. You were a younger player. There were older players on the team on AAA. They didn't like you. And you say how Tommy diffused, quote, the situation. Ah. Well, younger uh, is, uh, I guess, the one way to put it. I was 19 years old, and the next youngest guy was 27. There were pitchers on the team who had been in the major leagues or had been toiling in the minor leagues for many years, and I was a shortstop, making uh, at least an error a day and keeping them from getting wins, which would allow them to get to the major leagues. And after about a month and a half of making all of these errors and stinking it up at triple a the pitchers decided to tell Tommy Lasorda who is a first year triple a manager not Tommy Lasorda the hall of fame manager he was the guy who did rookie league baseball um, for three years and then got promoted to triple a and he brought this young kid to play shortstop and the Pitchers didn't like it, and they told Tommy they didn't want to pitch when I was playing shortstop. So, yeah, Tommy decided to call a meeting. He walked up and down. I thought it was the time for me to get out of AAA and <laughs> ball where I probably belonged. And instead, Tommy said that he had an idea. He wanted all the players to get a pen and paper and stand in front of my locker and get my autograph because when I was uh, – 
playing in the major leagues, they would be watching me on television. And um, lo and behold, he went into his office. I was sitting in my locker with my head down, wondering what I'm supposed to do next. And what I figured I had to do was sign 24 other autographs because everyone was standing in line with a paper and and pen. And the rest of the story is that uh, I basically stopped making errors. Uh, I started hitting. By the time I was 20 the next year in AAA, I had led the league in seven categories, was the all-star shortstop, the MVP of the league. And um, uh, Tommy showed what what it was all about to have a manager put confidence in a young player and have him turn his uh, life around. And then you s- suffered an injury. I think it was a knee injury, and you were lucky to be operated by, was it Curlin or Job? I forget which one who said operate on you. And that sort of st- held you back a little bit, but you came back 100% after that injury. But they were held back because Walter Austin and Tommy Lasorda had a f- sort of a feud in terms of you were Lasorda's person, you're the one that, that Lasorda was pushing, and Austin was fighting with Lasorda as the manager and didn't want Lasorda to take his job. Basically, that was the story. Yeah, Tommy was the uh, brash uh, manager who was saying uh, he could manage in the major leagues, and I was the brash shortstop who was saying I could play in the major leagues. And um, and kind of Walt Austin stood in the way of both of, the, of us for a while. Um, yeah, I got beamed uh, at the last day of the season. I was in the hospital with my head bandaged up for about seven days. Uh, I finally got back on the field, showed that I could play, and then uh, using all of my smarts that uh, my good education in Stanford, Connecticut gave me, I decided in college to play intramural football for my fraternity and got clipped in the last day of the season. So I went to spring training instead of being the starting shortstop. For the Dodgers, after being the MVP in AAA, I was um, the starting right fielder with a big brace on my knee, wondering if uh, my mobility would ever return. And then they, you, you did get better, improved, and everything. And then they traded you to the Angels. And at the Angels, you were going to be the starting shortstop there. You liked the situation. And then you suffered this. I mean, we talk about all these athletes, you know, can't miss. You were that can't miss athlete, the one that was going to have this Hall of Fame career. And, and unfortunately, you suffered a devastating injury. But it wasn't just the injury. It was the surgery afterwards that, that, uh, that sort of that, that, that had the effect, uh, the negative effect on your career. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> when I look back at it, um, I'm here now in, in Southern California. I'm doing some pregame and postgame work for the – L.A. Angels in 1973. I got traded from the Dodgers to the then California Angels. And, uh, yeah, I was leading the league in hitting, and uh, I was playing shortstop. And and then the manager decided I should play center field for a couple days, and uh, Nolan Ryan threw his first no-hitter. And instead of changing the luck and, and putting me back at shortstop, I stayed at center field another day wound up running into the wall, broke my leg, and uh, it was a serious break. But the, um, the the big problem was, as you mentioned, as it was healing, it, it healed with an 18-degree bend in one direction and a 17-degree bend in another direction because the doctor decided uh, that it was better to be in Hawaii vacationing than to be watching over um, – 
yeah, his students. And that was not Dr. Frank Job, but Frank Job did the knee operation I had after playing football. And uh, the the Angels had another doctor at the time, and uh, he was good. He was just um, a little cavalier, I think, at, uh, at the wrong time in my life. And uh, the leg decided to, to bend while in the cast. And then you went becoming the superstar into sort of, as you said in your book, a bench warmer in terms of working the bench. But over the next number of years when you were doing playing those and from going from so many different teams, the Angels, the Padres, the Mets, you were able to learn a lot. You were able to, to pick, you know, talk about in terms of going from being this playing every day to being just watching the action on the, from the bench. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the culture shock, if you will, the the culture of being the star to the culture of being the uh, also ran who would do anything to get into the game. Uh, I, I hung on for another seven years and uh, wound up actually volunteering to catch a couple times in the major <laughs> league just to get into the ball game and uh, <clears throat> was retired when I was 29 years old. I was, that means I was a free agent and no one signed me. And uh, then, a, then a new life began. And the new life was, of course, in managing. And, uh, you know, we, we think of you from the Mets days, but you had a, a long career for the eight years at the, at the Rangers, and you coached the Rangers when there was a lot of great players. I mean, Nolan Ryan, Ruben Sierra, Juan Gonzalez, Sammy Sosa. That must have been so much fun to be there in Texas with what's a great team that you played with, that you were managing. Yeah, 35 years old, a uh, teammate of mine became the general manager of the Rangers, Tom Greve. And uh, he brought me down to be his sidekick. I was his manager. And, uh, you know, we were playing in an old minor league stadium in the uh, football land of of, uh, Arlington, Texas, and uh, trying to build a franchise. And uh, in our our efforts, we had a lot of great young players come through. Many of them developed into major league stars, not while they were – playing for me, but after uh, they they got to sharpen their teeth uh, in the major leagues uh, with the uh, Texas Rangers. And, uh, you know, after Eddie Childs sold the team to a group led by George W. Bush, uh, I managed another few years and then um, was, uh, was let go, was fired by a future president of the United States who is still a good friend of mine and uh, went on to the next step. So when you were with the Rangers, you had a, a story about unannounced that Tom Landry, the famous coach of the Cowboys, walked in uh, to your office and, and gave you a, a piece of advice, which you, you brought up throughout the rest of the book. But I would share that, share that advice that Coach Landry shared with you. Well, it was my first year. I took over the team uh, halfway through the season, and uh, there were some articles in the paper on whether or not I would keep the coaches that I inherited or if I would bring in my own coaches and uh, after telling me a few of the good restaurants in Dallas to eat at and telling me I was welcome to come to a cowboy game anytime I wanted he put on his hat and looked over his shoulder and said and by the way make sure that your coaches speak your language and um, you know that doesn't mean that they were uh, I needed to have yes men it just means it that that uh, my message uh, needed to be heard in stereo and their coaches were the disciples who would be out there speaking the word. And um, uh, that was great advice. 
and then you go from the Rangers to Japan. I mean, your your life sh should be a movie. I mean, you're a movie director. You've done movies and everything, but this is an amazing story. So you go over to Japan, and you bring all those things that you've learned from baseball and sort of bring Americanize uh, the Japanese for one year. So that was it was pretty cool when you described that, you know, seeing Ichiro before Ichiro came to America, all those things. Yeah, you know, being the first uh, ever non uh, Japanese to manage in the professional leagues in Japan. And this is the 150th year of baseball in Japan, by the way, uh, it was quite the honor. You know, I, I was the first ever and, uh, I was sought out and went over and thought that I would teach everybody, uh, what to do and how to do it. And instead it was a learning experience that, um, I treasure to this day. And then you come back and coach the Mets and, and just, that's where, of course, you're most famous for, and certainly in the New York area, um, and had great success. I mean, there's so many fun stories you have. I, I would like you to say about how the whole disguise game, when you got thrown out of a game and there was some idea. I, I didn't realize who gave you the idea until I read the book about the disguise, but maybe tell our listeners about that, that because it was, it's a very funny story. Well, it turned out to be funny uh, at this time. At, at, the, at that time, it was quite uh, uh, the scandal, if you will. Yeah, I got thrown out of the game. Mike Piazza got called for a catcher's balk and extra innings of a game being played uh, at a very crucial time in 1999 after I had taken over the team in 96 and uh, we built it into a very competitive uh, championship type team and we were in a losing streak and then my coaches got fired and then <clears throat> Three days after, um, we were playing an extra innings, and uh, I called the pitch out. Mike stepped out to catch the ball, throw it to second base. The umpire called timeout and called a catcher's balk on the play. I never heard the play being called before and didn't think it was a very good idea. And I asked the, man, the umpire if I could get thrown out for what I was thinking, and he said no. And then I told him what I was thinking, and I got thrown out. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I was in the uh, clubhouse, uh, and my star pitcher at the time, a 40-year-old uh, uh, Oral Hersheiser, came up and said, uh, you know, we have a lot of new coaches in the dugout. They don't really know what to do. You better get back down there and help them out. And I said, I can't do that. I got thrown out of the game. They'll throw me out of baseball if I ever go back to the dugout. And so the next thing I knew, I had a pair of sunglasses. I had a hat. I was wearing a T-shirt. I looked in the mirror in the in the training room and then realized that I needed a little more. So I took the stickers off of the, uh, for the stickers that were on the training room table. And those are the things you put underneath your eyes when the sun is too bright. And I took one of the stickers and put it under my no nose on the right side and took the other one, put it above my lip on the left side and looked in the mirror. It looked like a mustache. I looked at Oral. He said, they'll never know. <laughs> and I went out to the dugout and about three minutes later, everyone knew. And uh, it became quite the, uh, the interesting scandal. And hey, if you read the book, there's a, there's a backstory to the whole story in that um, I was on the hot seat and uh, I was uh, maybe the next guy to get fired. And I was asked what uh, our team would do in the next 55 games to turn the season around. And I said, uh, while at Yankee Stadium playing in an interleague game, 
uh, or before an interleague game that you know, we would go 40 and 15. And as it turned out, um, after 54 games, our team was 39 and 15, and we won that last game to go 40 and 15 and save my life and go to the playoffs and uh, save my job also. Yeah, and then in 2000, they still said you had to go to the World Series. I mean, these st- the standards they were at the Mets were crazy. They you first you have to win 40 games, and then they said you have to go to the World Series to keep your job, and you take the team to the World Series and play one of the most epic. I mean, we talk about World Series uh, that people remember. I-, I can't remember anybody in New York who doesn't remember the Subway Series between the Yankees and the Mets in 2000. Uh, they were even in people who aren't around, like two, three years old, are telling me about that series. The whole Roger Clemens, Mike Piazza, it had series had everything. Yeah, it had star power. It had, uh, you know, interleague play I started in 97. So we started playing the Yankees, uh, which was an un- unthought of thing uh, for many years during the season. And after playing them six times a year for for those three years, we now got to play them the six times during the season and play them in the World Series. And, and not until probably this year, uh, has the hope been to have another Subway Series, and and hopefully we're going to see it. <laughs> and then the funny thing you said it was a joke when well, you met Joe Torre at Yankee Stadium and the fans were going crazy, and and you were like, "Isn't this great?" And and Joe Torre, who realized that if you know the Yankees had lost to the Mets, that would have been he he didn't seem too happy about that time. No, he said it was the worst time of his life. Um, he. he would rather have been doing anything but managing those games. You know, George Steinbrenner was his owner, and, um, you know, everything rested upon uh, the Yankees beating the Mets. And um, somehow they got the breaks and uh, played a little better and actually won the series in five games. It seemed like it was 12 games because every game was so close and uh, it's so exciting that uh, many people live on with that memory to, to this day. And I would be remiss if I did not mention in 2001 um, your work after 9-11 in terms of turning Shea Stadium into a, a relief area, all the work you did to help the volunteers, the times you went down to Ground Zero. Um, certainly, you, you and Tori, everyone, but the how sports united, and then, of course, the, the, the town, and, and you, know, you deserve so much thanks and gratitude for the work you did after 9-11. Yeah, thanks, Ira. You know, 10 days later after 9-11, and baseball returned to New York. And uh, it, it was unthought of uh, for the first week after 9-11. The canceling the season was, was what many people thought. If the season wasn't canceled, at least the games in New York would be canceled. But somehow uh, George W. Bush, who is now the commander-in-chief, along with the commissioner of baseball and the owners decided to resume the season. And right at the last minute, Atlanta decided that they would come from Atlanta up to New York to play what turned out to be an epic uh, game with a uh, game-winning home run hit by Mike Piazza and Liza Minnelli singing New York, New York, an event that most people never forget who were around the game at that time because you know, frowns were turned upside down and hope was uh, back in the hearts of, of all in, in New York and around the country after such a horrific attack on uh, September 11th, uh, 2001. 
And then we're talking to Bobby Valentine, who wrote Valentine's Way. And then you, you touched at the end of the book, spent some time about your time going to Japan and coaching there now for another. You're making your second turn there. And you ended up for the Chiba Lions winning the Japanese World Series for the first time they've, they've ever had in a long, long time. And, but just the whole excitement about the fans and how you brought all the – everything we're seeing in America when you, they show the – you know, when you're playing away, the home sta- stadium, all the fans came and filled the stands and just the excitement of the, all the fans in Japan. That was what I felt got the sense from the book was that, you know, you really turned the American-style enthusiasm into the Japanese fans. Well, it was a miraculous uh, situation and uh, a, a, a life's experience that uh, I'll, I'll never forget, obviously. Yeah, not only went there, but um, turned an organization after 33 years of losing into a winning organization and watching the fans uh, come alive every day uh, that, that we played until we finally won that championship. Uh, we actually won four championships that year in the minor leagues and we won the interleague championship and we won our division championship and we won our national championship. So it was really a cool situation that, um, you know, fans today uh, from Japan uh, marvel at. And um, I'm really happy I was part of it. And I didn't realize, you know, we're down here in, in, in South Florida, you almost became the manager of the Miami Marlins, uh, almost. I think in some ways you said you were and then were not, but it was a, it was a, very close to becoming the manager at the Marlins after you were done coaching in Japan. Oh, yeah, there's many things in that book that people would be surprised to hear happen. But, yeah, I had a verbal agreement to um, manage the Marlins. Uh, matter of fact, my bags were parked, packed. I was ready to get on the private plane to uh, fly out of uh, New Jersey down to Miami and uh, get in uniform a couple days later. But, um, yeah, the the uh, stepson of the owner thought that I said something that I didn't say. He got upset with me on the phone, and we had a discussion that basically led to me not managing. So uh, it, it's kind of interesting the way the world turns. <laughs> Well, uh, Bobby, you've had one of the most amazing. I mean, that's why this book. I learned. I mean, I follow your career, and I'm reading this book, and I'm like, oh my god, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I encourage everyone to buy the book Valentine's Way. And I guess just a general statement before we conclude is, you know, what do you think about baseball today in terms of the the lack of the strategy? I mean, I know you were very much into analytics before other people were. You, I liked your story where you said we need a satellite dish. No one was using satellite dishes; they were just using scouts. So you were very, you know, ahead of your game, ahead of the game per se. But how do you feel like it is now with the home runs, the lack of steals, those type of things? Well, I, I think it's all coming back, actually. You know, they deadened the ball, so there's more action. I think that the thought um, that we now can legally bet on baseball um, is going to be a major part of the game moving forward. And in order to have real interest in, in the betting community, you have to have more action. It can't just be strikeouts and home runs. So I think there's a there's a move to make sure that we do steal and bunt and hit and run and get rid of the shift so that um, more balls are in play. And uh, I think our game is um, it, it's in the operating room, but there's a lot of wonderful surgeons that are going to bring it back to life and make it even a better product uh, going forward. 
Well, Bobby, I want to thank you again for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. I know down here in South Florida, you you know Port St. Lucie with the Mets and spring training. There's a tons of Mets fans, and uh, but you're really just baseball fans. If you're a baseball fan, this is a book to read. So thanks again for coming on Iron Sports. I appreciate it. Truly a fascinating individual, that Bobby Valentine. Great stuff. What's going on in tennis? Well, Wimbledon started today. Um, there's no bad defender ball player in the world, Rublov or Krachov, but and no Sasha Zarev who got injured in the French Open. But there's Djokovic is one, Nadal's number two. So hopefully they got that right. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, they had to. Hopefully, hopefully in two weeks we're gonna have them in the finals. Um Hubert Hercos, who plays well on grass, who had an Iron Sports show guest. He lost in the first round, was one of the big upsets today. TFO won, who was also on our show. He won. Uh, American Isner won. And Andy Murray's back in this tournament. And then on the women's side, we, of course, have Serena playing. Uh, and uh, Sweet Talk is is in. But uh, two whole weeks of tennis. We, we're going to get next Monday. We'll get the middle, middle like the first week of tennis. I'll be down to the round of 16. And we'll summarize Wimbledon next week. So, Ira, I went to um, college in Nashville. And I know a lot of people that were at the race. And... The response from everyone was like, wow, going to a NASCAR event is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Chase Elliott won. He's a, a Hendrick driver. Uh, it was uh, it, the, it was a long race if they went there because there was rain delays and everything, and they still got a great attendance, a great show. I mean, Denny Hamlin led most of the race, 114 laps, uh, but then he just finished in sixth place. Um, the only fun, It was a fun, funny thing. I watched part of the race, and Bubba Wallace was – like they put the tire on it was it was loose and he had to go back. How many times do you have to go and get your tire car fixed and they go back to the shop and say, "Oh, come back and we'll fix it again." So he had to go back in and then he says, "Don't talk to me the rest of the race over the radio." He's like, "I don't still want to hear it." So Road America is next week and the Formula One is going to be exciting. It's a great race. It's in England. So boy, a lot of things happening on the British Open in two weeks, Wimbledon and now Formula One. So that's going to be exciting for next week. Ira, where are you headed this week? Um, I might, there's not much to go to, but I might, if I'm going to go back to New York, perhaps a baseball game this week. That'd be some good stuff. We will catch up next week. We are out of time. Thanks so much to Bobby Valentine. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.